You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey, yo, Art History Babes listeners. Just a couple of quick updates for you. First and foremost, the Art History Babes are going to New York City, and we want you to come with us. Um, you may have already heard about the trip. It was originally going to be this month, but unfortunately, the dates didn't work for a lot of people, so we listened to y'all, and we moved the trip to May 27th to June 1st. It's going to be five jam-packed days of art and hanging out with us in New York City. We're going to look at art. We're going to make art. We're going to explore the city. We're going to eat good food and drink good wine. And it's just going to be a good time. We really hope you can join us. Head over to likeminestravel.com to book your spot today. Also got some new merchandise up on the store, arthistorybabes.com slash merchandise. My personal favorite is our new stickers. They say, Life is short, art is long, and they're probably my favorite stickers we've done so far. I've got one on my phone, one on my computer. They're really dope, so go check those out. Grab yourself a handful of them, stick them wherever. Also, we're in the midst of doing a Patreon reboot. We are completely revamping our Patreon, so just keep that in mind whether you are already a patron or are thinking about becoming a patron um we're going to be just revamping that very very soon and there's going to be some giveaways and like a whole big to do about it so keep that in mind lastly artandobject.com check out artandobject.com great source for contemporary art and art history just a really solid website they're growing pretty rapidly and getting a lot of new interesting content and they've been great partners to us so check out artandobject.com so today what we got for you is one of the three episodes we recently recorded at Sofa Chicago, live in front of a studio audience. This episode we are joined by three gallery owners, Melissa Morgan, Erica Hilton, and Sarah Traver. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Natalie. I'm Ginny, and we are the Art History Babes. And we are recording live from Sofa Chicago. 
And we are joined by Melissa Morgan, Erica Hilton, and Sarah Traver. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thanks. I really appreciate that. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Also, quick note, today we're sponsored by Jadot, which we're drinking right now, and it's very good. Go drink it. Cheers. Great. Well, thank you for being on this panel. So I guess we should start with the introductions. You are all female gallery owners. So can you speak a little bit about what inspired that? Is that, did you just want to become a gallery owner or was there like a very complicated sort of trajectory to becoming a gallery owner? Maybe we can start with you, Sarah. Sure, we can definitely, I can talk about that. It's not a complicated trajectory at all. I um, am second generation. My dad started the gallery. So I grew up in the business and that was, was sort of a natural course. It was not my first choice initially. And then I ended up working in the gallery as kind of a job between jobs and just totally fell in love with it and couldn't foresee doing anything else after that. So what was your first choice? Well, I studied art history oh, and and photography and then actually uh, moved to New York and was an elementary school teacher for a few years and didn't have the stomach to live in New York on a teacher's salary and Mm -hmm. (laughs) teach in underfunded public schools. I just didn't have what it took to do that. So I kind of burnt out on that and then came home and had planned to take a couple years off before teaching again and work in the gallery and yeah rest is history and here you are here i am great all right what about erica is it erica or arica so it's erica but when i try to tell someone how to spell my name i say arica because it's spelled with an a because okay invariably if i say my name is erica with an a they still spell it with an e (laughs) right yeah it's it's been maddening sometimes so now it's arica or arica (laughs) okay well i'm glad we got that Squared away. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So how did I start in the business? So um, I had just moved to Chicago from Orange County, actually. And I had two small children and I was getting divorced. And I had met this artist. And one day I said to him, in Palm Springs, by the way, Melissa, in Desert Hot Springs, but we met in, in Palm Springs. And I had said to him, oh, I love your work. One day I'm going to sell your work for you. And, you know, sometimes you just say something and don't realize what you're really saying. I was 25 years old at the time. And I uh, decided I was going to open an art gallery because I didn't know what else to do. I'd studied architecture and I had one more year to finish before I got my degree. And so I opened my first gallery Yeah, when I was 25. That was a long time ago. Wow. That is very impressive. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. 25 and didn't know any better. 25 and didn't know what I was getting myself into. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. And then now, Melissa. I had no intention of opening an art gallery. I'm still not quite sure how it happened to me. I feel like it, you know, I'm one of the witches in the Wizard of Oz and it kind of landed on me. But, um, Whoa. <laughs> um in, in all seriousness, my late husband was actually from Chicago and I didn't want to move to Chicago. So he worked in Chicago and I was in the Coachella Valley in Palm Springs. And we had multiple homes because I made him commute to work. So I said, well, I want to be more involved in my community because we travel so much. And I also want to learn about art. 
And he said, why don't you open an art gallery? And I said, that's a terrible idea. That's just, you know, one more thing for us to fight about and more moving parts in our life. So let's not. And he said, well, if you were gonna, where would you? And we, you know, like people in Palm Springs do, we left for the summer. And by the time I got back in the fall, he had leased a space and hired a director and handed me the keys and said, you know, why don't you go to New York and go buy some art? And, you know, it's here if you want to get involved. So that, that's a very sweet story. And, and my husband passed away a few years later and I had an art gallery. And what started out as a hobby gallery was an absolute silver lining because I realized after reviewing what was going on, we might be making money. if So I, it might be financially viable. And so we made a decision, at or I made a decision at that point that maybe it could be a career for me. And that was, I opened my gallery 17 years ago. So I've been doing this for a long time too, but it chose me as the answer. That's great i like all these different stories but also like you all kind of happened into it in a way it was none of your first choice which is really interesting too so what's kind of kept you like in love with running a gallery if it wasn't your first choice like what about it keeps you coming back that feels like a really easy answer for me the artists for sure 100 percent so the, I mean, the collectors the are also wonderful connecting the artists to collectors and to an audience i think but Really, the heart of the gallery for me is the artists. So for me, I think definitely the artists, because if you don't have good work and you don't work with good people, life is, it's not worth doing what you're doing. And I think also the collectors, because I think for us, all of us in our business, it's a relationship business. And what we do is we present something of beauty, something of, of importance to collectors who are looking for that too so it's this connection like we're the conduit between the artist and the collector and for me when I see them all happy it makes me happy it's just a beautiful experience it's a tough business it's not the easiest business because it's not necessarily something that people need but oftentimes they do need it like for their soul for their happiness I mean you see homes all over the place without any art, and it just has no soul. And once they have the artwork up on the wall, all of a sudden the home becomes theirs. It's an expression of them. Yeah, and if you walk into someone's house and they don't have art on the walls, you should leave because that's <laughs> scary. Or just sell them some art. Right. They're, they're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's yes. <laughs> Not too long ago, I, I think it was at, at Palm Springs Fair, Kathy, that you guys do. I, I had one of my artists who also teaches, and he was talking about the importance of arts in early education and the difference between kids that had the opportunity to... I, I have a kid that works for me and has for a lot of years that came out of Idlewild Arts Academy, and I have kids, young men that work for me handling art that went to public schools, and the cognitive difference, the cognitive development is, is so crucial. And, and this teacher said to me, you know, he goes, kids that aren't learning about art have marshmallow brains. I said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, they don't know how to solve problems. They don't know how to take things from start to finish. And, and so bringing art into the world whether it's through my collectors or meeting artists and, and being able to participate in that to help remind us to think to dream, to imagine. I love doing that. So I, I like watching people interact with art, period. And that's probably my favorite part of it. And I'm curious in particular about 
the artists that each of you represent and what the process is for that, like what kind of, whether they be materials or certain themes that artists address, what really draws you to the artists that you represent in terms of like how you're going to put them in shows and sell their work and what really draws? I'll go first. Okay, so over the years, now it's been over 30 years I've been doing this business and I love the business of art. Mm-hmm. And there's something about being able to, for artists and for the collectors, there's something about, I hate to say the word selling because we don't, I don't know, for me, I don't sell art. What I do is I facilitate. And over the years, I've, I've shown many different types of works from two-dimensional paintings to sculptures to most recently, the last few years have been photography. And what I found with the photography, it's very accessible. And it's this present history of our times more than anything. Whether it's, you know, I represent David Yarrow, who is now the number one. He's actually the best-selling photographer in the world today. And he started out photographing animals in the wild and now he does staged works and he's a bit of a celebrity but people are drawn to it not knowing who he is they'll walk into the gallery and they'll say oh my god this is like the most amazing work I've ever seen they have no idea and so when I see something like that it just it moves me Mm -hmm. and it's very joyful and it's a great way to live your life yeah I think I probably have a little bit of a different experience because the gallery that I now own has a legacy, right. you know, it has many years of representing artists. So part of what I'm doing is kind of building on that mm-hmm. legacy and really trying to respect it and continue in that tradition, but also continue the conversation and move it forward in new directions mm-hmm. and be responsive to what I see happening in my community and in the world around me. Specifically, our gallery focuses on artists who are working with materials um, and materials in non-traditional ways. So we work a lot with glass artists. We work with sculptors um, using clay and wood, resin, metals, mixed media. And we're always just looking for artists who are kind of pushing the boundaries of that. So they might be using very traditional crafts, but they're you know presenting new sculptural forms right. or they're changing the dialogue around it in some way. And then we also try and mix it up. We have a lot of really established artists. We work with, you know, Dale Chihuly, Dante Marioni, Preston Singletary, artists who have really gained names in their field mm-hmm. and ceramics like June Kaneko and others. But we're also working with really young artists. So like if you come by our booth here at SOFA, you'll see artists at all stages of their career. We're working with a young Asian American or Asian artist who's living in America now named Ling Chun. And this is her, her first time doing an art fair. So that's really exciting. It's super dynamic work, really Mm -hmm. out there, crazy, includes fake hair, ceramics. It's (laughs) super cool. (laughs) Oh, Melissa. Choosing the artists we work with, I mean, most importantly, you two, I I love 
both of your comments. Yeah, for us, for me, we, we have to be passionate about it. We do have a program. We do have a criteria. Southern California, we, we have a, a lot of appreciation for, again, talking about materials. You know, California's resins and mm-hmm. pinstriping and car paint and hot rod paint and surfboards and skateboards. So much pretty, pretty materials and reflective materials and the idea of light and space and the idea of finish fetish though we also will color outside of the lines on our our programming if, if we're passionate about something and right now we're having fun with um anthony james and his infinity work which is kind of a departure from that and it's just work that we're excited about so i mean we do have a criteria but we've got to love it yeah, I love like, those infinity pieces. The first time I saw them, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Really. Yeah, the infinity works are, yeah. are a favorite of all of ours. <laughs> I was going to say, you mentioned earlier about relationships with artists and how that's one of your favorite parts of being a gallery owner. I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit more concerning maybe how you build those kind of relationships or maybe how you foster relationships in in a sense of community as a gallery owner? I mean, the relationship is a huge part of the success for the gallery and for the artist, I think, at least for us. We feel deeply connected to the artists that we work with, and we try and cultivate very meaningful, lasting relationships with those artists. When we take a new artist on for representation, we take them on, you know, hopefully for life. That's Mm -hmm. our goal is to continue representing them throughout their career and to grow with them as they change and go in new directions. So, you know, we really want to have a close relationship with them. And that means talking on the phone a lot. It means sending emails. It means going out to dinners and knowing about what's happening with their kids and their dogs and (laughs) where they're traveling to. But also, you know, doing a lot of studio visits and keeping it professional and knowing where the work is going, what they're thinking about. Uh, if they have any upcoming museum projects or opportunities, working with them on grants applications, everything, everything you can think of, you know, really trying to be there uh, in a professional capacity for the artists. It sounds very traditional, actually, the way that gallerists used to represent artists. Today, it's changed so much because a lot of artists are online, they represent themselves. So I think the gallery business has changed in that sense. And so for me personally, I need the artists to feel that they're part of our family, like a team. Like you said, we have to all work together. That's like my favorite word is teamwork. And the other part is you're saying that it's like a marriage. It's it's a very, very important relationship because a lot of times, I don't know about all of you, but like for me, I'll put so much into that artist's career and whether if they're beginning, you know, in the early stages of their career or if they're at late stages, whether it's marketing, introducing them, doing everything you have to do to let people know who they are and to give them a presence, give them a name, brand them. And so a lot of people don't realize the role of the gallery and the gallerist when it comes to representing and selling the artist's works. And so the most successful unions that I've seen between artist and gallerist is when they all are understanding the importance of giving to one another. Uh, Can I just jump 
yes, please build on that a little bit. I mean, yeah. I think you know, in addition to pr- having a physical space to show the work and present a beautiful exhibition, like we're there as storytellers for the artists. They're you know, for that time that the work is in the gallery, we're going to be the ones who are talking about it, sharing the artist's stories. And so that relationship mm-hmm. piece, that sort of trust that you build in that kind of marriage is essential to being able to tell that story well. Very, very true. Melissa? Relationships with artists? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. We've all gone through that. Um one of the lines I say when I when an artist approaches me uh, or I approach an artist is is I actually I, I like to go on a few dates before I go steady um, because it is <laughs> hopefully um, it is great. hopefully a, a lifetime commitment and, and you you better know what you're getting into and and hopefully you know I, I want them to like me and I want to like them and 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 I loved hearing both of your stories about you know it, it, there's a personal relationship because it, it is such an intimate relationship when somebody it's somebody's creation they've given birth to concept and 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 brought it into the mundane and and given it physicality so it's so precious to them and and having respect for that and then make it you know the mutual respect of what we do as dealers I'll, i'll brag a little bit recently Again, with Anthony James' work, we, we've been pounding the pavement and, and doing a lot of fairs and getting it out there. And, and Crystal Bridges Museum reached out to us and wanted to include Anthony's work in an exhibition recently. And it's up right now in Arkansas at Crystal Bridges. But the, the pride and the joy mm-hmm. of being able to have worked together to do that and then to see it come into reality, it takes a lot of commitment and a lot of trust. And, and I, I love that you said it, it's for life. So, so, yeah, relationships with artists are complicated, but they're fabulous. Well, having, having said all of that, there are experiences where we do represent certain artists and get them to a certain place. And then they feel they don't need you anymore, and they go off on their own. And no, it's very painful. (laughs) It's like a breakup. It is. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. So you know, these are real relationships. Then they're very interesting, multifaceted relationships. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So not to change the subject, but I just wanted to draw attention. The name of our talk today is Female Gallery Owners at SOFA. And I'm curious about how it's a multi-part question. Two parts. First is, do you identify as a female gallery owner or is it I'm a gallery owner? So I'm wondering if how that comes into play for you in a world that I think is still mostly dominated by men. And then part two, I'm also sort of, I don't know because I'm not, I'm not a gallery owner. I'm not in the gallery world. So is it very dominated by men? And do you feel like that? Does that make it difficult to be a female gallery owner? Yes. Okay. So, yes. (laughs) 
But, but having said that, a funny story when I was um, talking about how I got into the gallery business, I had been also a collector and I traveled a lot and I, a museum lover and started collecting art. And so I, you know, oh, I have a, gal a dealers I bought art from. I, I'm opening a gallery and oh my gosh, you know, they all said don't do it. And I thought, oh my God, they're so jealous of me. I, I'm going to kill it, right? And what they were really saying is it's such a difficult business and we like you. That's not what how I heard it. I heard they're intimidated by me. I'm such a badass, right? And no, they were thought I was going to get my ass handed to me. And I did a lot. And then again and again and again. <laughs> so, yeah. so that, I think there are definitely pros and cons. That, but being a woman in the art business, we're still a minority and I'm very proud of the women. We there, There's a whole different set of issues that come up whether we're dealing with artists or clients though the education that being in the art business has given me as a human being I'm so so grateful for that's awesome so yes and no as okay. far as identifying as a female gallery owner but my, my situation is a little bit unique because I'm also an artist right and yeah so I see both sides of the coin but having said that I began representing one particular artist, and I won't, I won't name this one, but he's very famous. And some of the galleries who were representing him were female gallery owners yeah. who didn't do very well with his work. And his male gallery owners did very, very well around the world. And so I felt a little bit competitive. I hate to say that. I'm not a competitive person with other people except myself, usually. Uh-huh. And I said, well, that just isn't good. You know, it makes us look bad. And so we ended up, within a year, becoming the number one gallery in the United States representing this artist, knocking everybody out of the ballpark. And I remember meeting a couple of the male gallery owners at a... a at a private dinner we were all at mm -hmm. together and they were so offensively rude to me oh gosh and I thought to myself I, I remember I, I went up to one and said hi I'm Erica Hilton I own Hilton Osmus Contemporary and he says oh you're Erica Hilton hmm. and he turned around and walked away wow. and I thought to myself really okay <laughs> nice and guess what we're number one yeah. And so, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, and, and normally, I wouldn't even think those thoughts because for me, it's just about doing business. It's about making money. And I think making money is a beautiful thing when you do something you love doing. Yes. And I tell people that it's like sacred. Yes. And, and when people talk about money being the root of all evil and, and artists, I have to say this, and I don't know how you all feel, but when they say, oh, I don't do it for the money, I'm not a commercial artist. And I'll say to them, have you ever sold a piece of art? Yes. Well, that's commerce. The word commercial comes from commerce. So if you take money for art, you're commercial. Look at Andy Warhol. You know, right now there's a big exhibition, oh, yeah, retrospective, we, yeah. at the Art Institute. And Andy Warhol was the model for being a commercial artist who's in museums all over the world and in major collections around the world. So I, I have a lot of uh, advice to give to artists who tell me that they're not interested in doing the art for the money. And it's, they shouldn't. They should do it from their heart, but they should enjoy making the money for their efforts. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> the question so, was about being a female gallery owner. Yeah, the question, just, just to recap, it was about identifying as either just a gallery owner or a female gallery owner and how that comes into play with your business and also dealing with men in the <laughs> in the largely <laughs> male-dominated art world. I don't think of myself as a female gallery owner on a daily basis, but I guess when it's put like that, like, yeah, I'm going to proudly fly that flag. Yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. Um, but as far as like dealing with those men in the gallery business, I think there's still a lot of stereotypes against women in positions like ours. I mean, as a gallery owner, you literally do everything. Like we come to these fairs and we're the ones hanging these shows, doing the shipping, everything. And I can't tell you how many times it surprises people to see me install a piece of art. I'm like, yeah, I, I know how to use a drill. I, I can do that. <laughs> a level and a ladder and all the stuff. So that's that's always fun to like do away with some of those stereotypes and just put people in their place a little bit. But I think the number one sort of challenge around like male, female for me that I've encountered is actually with collectors and men in positions of power coming into the gallery and spending a lot of money and feeling privileged to put their hands on me in ways that I don't necessarily invite or no, no, no. Um, and less so for me than with our the other folks who work in the gallery, the other young women who are working in the gallery. I see that a lot and I feel like I sometimes have to intervene and say or physically put my body in front of them in a way it's like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> like this is professional. This is a professional setting. I understand that it's very collegial and it's a lot of fun and you're buying a piece of art that you're excited about, but you know, it's not always appropriate. And I think that that happens a lot in our business. And so just, I try and keep an eye on that. Love hearing that. Yeah, yeah that's great. <laughs> that's a good thing. So you guys have been kind of like talking about the fair scene and obviously working in a gallery and then being at a fair are very different settings. Do you feel like you kind of have to switch out of different modes to go between like being at home base and being in these settings? And how does that change maybe your approach to talking to people or... We don't do a ton of fairs. We we change year to year, but typically two or three fairs in a year. Uh, that's about as much as I'm willing to do, honestly. These are huge, huge energy draw. So just try and keep an eye on that because I like to enjoy the work that I do and I don't want to get overextended. And I think that this is an easy way to do that. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's a hard, I mean, it's fun to be here. It's super energizing to be in an environment with so much community and so much cool art to look at and to see it all in one place. But it can also, I think it's important to also go into physical galleries and see exhibitions and really understand the context of an artist's work and see the full scope of it. And that's hard to do in the fair setting. So the question was the difference between being at a fair or versus being in the gallery. Yeah, it just seems um, to me and not doing it myself, but it seems like you guys would have to almost wear different hats or it's a very it's a different mindset it would seem, but maybe it's not. You know, I'm grateful for the the change of scenery and the change of pace and for us um my brick and mortar space is in Palm Desert. So it's kind of uninhabitable for about four months out of the year in the summer. And there's not collectors there. So I'm super grateful for the opportunity to be able to go to fairs kind of in our slower time and, and, and you know, meet new collectors. Um, and as we're cycling back around to markets, this being one of them, I've had so much fun 
the past couple of days already seeing collectors we've met here at the fair or people that we know from the desert who, you know, are snowbirds. And, and, and so it's just, it's a great opportunity to widen, broaden our collector base. So I really like it. And, and again, it gives us just another avenue to get artwork out there and meet people. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's the, the fairs have become more and more important. And I think it's wonderful having the brick and mortar because that gives you your foundation. And you have to have that. And I was saying earlier, so much business now is done online. And we're, we're online. We're on First Dibs. We're on Artsy. We're on Artnet. So we sell all over the world. But they buy from us more so because they know that we have a gallery and we're in a major city, which is really nice. And they see all the, the videos that we have on our website. We're doing more and more art fairs now because I think it's important to get out there and to show that you're still viable. You're, you know, you're in business and you're doing more. You're meeting new people. It's like new blood in a sense. And I think that's, that's so important because you have to change with the times. And if you don't change, you die. And we've seen, like just in our neighborhood alone, in the River North Art District here in Chicago, I don't know, I'd say seven or eight galleries in our neighborhood have all moved west because everything has changed as far as the rents have gone up. You know, before River North was not the expensive area, it was like Soho in New York. And... It was easy to open galleries there. And now the rents have skyrocketed and no one can afford it. And so it's, it's wonderful. We have a great landlord, so we're very lucky. But I think we have to do the fairs and we have to show our visibility. Jumping off in more of the discussion of your brick and mortar spaces and how you curate exhibitions, I'm always curious from like the vantage point of art history where when I, if I could curate my ideal thing, it would be very conceptual and would have some like kind of theme of memento mori or something like very in-depth. But I also know from the gallery standpoint, you want to show work that is going to be marketable and that clients are going to want to buy. So I'm curious about each of your sort of individual exhibition schedules, like how often you plan them and what is it just for one artist or is it kind of based on a theme or is there a variation of those? Again, I'm in a seasonal market. So for me, we're kind of eight months out of the year mm -hmm. on and six of those months more important. So I do three to four group exhibitions mm -hmm. because where I am, People have their second, third, fourth, tenth home. They don't schedule their lives over my exhibition schedule. So I have a unique model in that I don't have a six-week window, right. and I, I tend to program in group shows. I, I rarely do. I have one solo exhibition for Marcia Roberts this year. She's just earned it, and she's mm -hmm. got such a great body of work. But I rarely, rarely do that because, again, I want – Collect. I want an opportunity to tell the story and right. to educate people about the artist. So maybe if you're in and out of town, you need to see it more than once. So we right. tend to rework this our stable of artists mm -hmm. in different ways. Absolutely. So we have the privilege of having pretty ample space in Seattle. So we have about 6,000 square foot exhibition space that we have divided up into kind of two different main spaces. So we actually do, we mount two solo shows almost every month. And then December, January, February, typically we do 
gallery artist group shows and kind of review things that have been shown throughout the year and then introduce work that's going to be coming in for the next year. But those are our slow months. And so we take those times to do group shows. So yeah, that's fun for us. And then we balance it. We try and keep a balance of doing work that we know is going to be very commercially successful and doing work, working with artists who are doing work that is more of a risk, that is more concept-based, larger scale, Mm -hmm. sculptural work, installation-based work. And knowing that like one show can really help facilitate the next show happening. Mm -hmm. That's our model. So I've always had a, had a problem with group shows. Whenever I've had group shows, they haven't been as successful. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm hearing this. And for us, our most successful shows have been our, our solo exhibitions. Hmm. So eight years ago when I opened Hilton Osmus Contemporary, I remember my first year, we had 13 shows, like solo mm. exhibitions. thought I was going to die. Could, yeah. I don't know how it <laughs> happened. Every three, four weeks, we were we were doing another show. And then, of That's course, it slowed down. literally my life for 15 years. Oh, my God. I don't know how you do two shows a month, two solo exhibitions. That's incredible. <laughs> it's a lot of work. People have no idea how much work goes into preparing and and doing all the different facets of marketing one exhibition mm-hmm. whether it's just designing the invitation to marketing it getting it out there and today of course it's the social media yes which is important but for us we do it but really we sell through our relationships mm-hmm. and we get press we we're one of the few galleries that is constantly in the news because we have a lot of artists who are known and so they garner more attention than not. But agreed, we have to do shows that are successful, marketable, and saleable. But when it comes to after a while, it's like, okay, I have to do this show from my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it just for me. I don't care if I sell anything. I have to show these artists because I'm in love with their works. And that every like once a year. I'll do a show from my heart. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's very important because business is important. We have to pay our bills. We have to pay the artists. We have mm-hmm. to do everything we can do. And then we can relax and say, okay, I just have to do this. Definitely. So a lot of our listenership is made up of like younger artists and art historians, like still in school, still in undergrad. Do you have any advice for young artists or, or people working in the arts that might be interested in going into gallery work? Like any advice you'd give like your younger self or, or anything like that to kind of help those people in, in navigating this crazy world that we're a part of? <laughs> I actually lecture. Uh, I get, have had the, the privilege of getting to, to lecture annually on this at a couple of schools, and, and I love this question. I think it, it's important for artists, even get your work out there, get your work out there, whether it's entering into juried programs at your different civic centers, museums, um, city hall, understanding where you can get your work out there. So number one is get your work out there. Number two, be professional and, and learn how to be professional if it's wanting to show your work. Why is your work appropriate somewhere? How do you fit in with somebody's program? What do you have in common with it? 
you know, it, it, what are the criteria? So, so, and participating in your art community, I think is super, super important. So learn, continuing to learn, whether it's going to exhibitions and going to galleries and museums and sitting through lectures and, and learning about your industry, you know, find mentors, find leaders in the industry that you, you relate to and, and are willing to talk to you and, and mentor you. So th- those would be my answers. So I would, I would say all of the above. <laughs> I would also say they have to help to market themselves. I think that's very, very important. And they have to have an identity. I think that they need to brand themselves to a certain degree. It's hard for them, of course, when they're young. They don't know who they are yet. They don't know where they're headed. But they need to try to map a plan for themselves. But they also need to network in the right way and meet the right people, like you said, the mentors, Melissa. And, you you know, whether it's being mentored by another artist or someone in some way in the industry, interning. You know, we're one of the few galleries who actually pay our interns. <laughs> nice. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> That's wonderful. wonderful. Yes. Yeah, we're not so few. This is really great. Maybe women-owned galleries maybe more so because we want to make sure they eat. Yes. We want to make sure that they they aren't starving and dying and having to. uh, We get a lot of emails from listeners that are trying to, you know, make their way in the art world. And they're like, like, how? Like, I need to pay my bills, but I'm supposed to be taking these internships and they just don't exist. So, like. From our perspective, hearing that more galleries are taking that into consideration I is think, really great. I think they're doing it more and more mm-hmm. now. I think so, too. I think so. And I think there's this, I don't know, a little more humanitarian way of treating interns. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, your millennial generation, that's another story when it comes to some of us who are not millennials. As far as like, I'll get, I'll get these young kids coming in and I'm looking to hire someone. And they'll come in and start interviewing me. And they have this long list of things they want to know basically what's in it for them. Or I, I recently called someone that I was, he had sent me a resume. And I called back because I thought he had a really interesting resume. And I said, hi there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm calling to see if you'd like to come in for an appointment. He said, well, let me get back to you and I'll let you know what my schedule is and what my availability is. Seriously. So, so I think there has to be a humility and a willing to work. And I think there's so many in your generation who really have that heart and passion for working. Like, I, I love my staff. One of my staff is here right now. And, um, you know, they put their heart and soul into making our business a success. Mm-hmm. And they're learning. They have to learn business. That's the other thing. Yes. They have to understand the business of art. So anyway, I will I will uh, <laughs> stop there. Yeah, I think, I mean, I would agree. It's a hustle. Whether you're on the artist side or on the gallery side, like it's hard work mm-hmm. and it's kind of 24-7 or on call all the time. So, you know, you have to be willing to stay up late to make the sale or go to the client's house on your day off. You know, you do what it takes to make it happen. And as far as like talking to artists who are kind of looking for that gallery relationship, which you guys were touching on a little bit. I think, you know, I would just go back to that idea of it being a relationship and something that you're entering into for a lifetime. So I always encourage artists to find galleries that they are excited about working with and find somebody that you really want to be in a relationship with and trust to, you know, tell your story because 
that's, you know, that's essential to the success. If you're going, if you're working with a gallery that you're like, ah, it's okay, but the work's out there, yeah. that's just never going to be as successful as finding somebody who is really passionate about your work. Definitely. And, and I understand that that's a big ask when you're just looking to like sell things and get the work out there. But I, I think it's really worth spending time and doing research to find a gallery that's a good fit. Um, and then as far as other people who are looking to kind of get into the profession of galleries, yeah, knowing something about business, knowing how to install work and handle yes. art. And then also a little bit of an attitude of like, fake it till you make it. You have to yeah. like be there and be willing to put yourself <laughs> out there mm-hmm. and take some risks and feel confident. And if you're kind of shrinking back and not sure of yourself, it's not, you have to really present like, right. No, okay. I know what I'm talking about. Definitely. That was our mantra in grad school. Yeah, yeah, for real. Got us through. (laughs) I I think especially for for people your age, your first few jobs that you may have in various galleries, if if you are in that direction or whatever you're doing, at least even though you may not necessarily be staying in that place because you're evolving and you're learning about yourself and about life, put your... 1,000% into it while you're there. And make sure that when you are working for that that gallery or that artist, whether you're an apprentice, whatever it is, don't act like, well, like you said, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not sure if this is what I want. And and you may not be sure if that's what you want, but still put your your whole heart into it Mm -hmm. and give it your best shot. Because you know what? Your next job that you have that boss that you were working for is going to give you a glowing reference right. and say, you know what, hire this person because, or buy their art or something. Right. But whatever you do, put your whole heart and soul into it. That's the one recommendation I would give. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a visual industry, right? At the end of the day. Yes. So like, also like really always putting your best foot forward and making sure that you're paying attention to the details that, the design of the things is good, that your presentation is professional. Like Mm -hmm. all of that really matters. It does. Definitely. Yeah. And lastly, I would add to that. If, if, you know, there's one thing to like the idea of being in the art industry and right. It's like anything. Once you see behind the curtain, it might not be as glamorous. So when I'm talking to young people, that's the other thing. It's be really sure of why do you want to do it and what do you want to accomplish? And you better really, really, really love it. And when, when I get hired by people, I, I really am like, you really, really have to want this job. You know, it's a little bit of kind of like that scene in A Devil Wears Prada where Anne Hathaway is an amazing <laughs> assistant. I don't know. If, if, if you can make it for two years working at my gallery, you could probably work just about anywhere. And I'm so proud of some of the people that have, have been through our mm-hmm. program and they can go into other things. But God, do you have to want it? So that's mm-hmm. the that's the other thing that I would yes, say. Yes, definitely. I, I just want to add to that. It's like the ones who come and work for me, they learn every facet of the business. You know, you have to clean the gallery, you have to put the flowers out, you have to to respond to the collector, you have to learn how to write a proper response, proper emails. How do you how do you talk to people? Learning the proper language. It's very, very important. And I think the art business is so creative that it's like critical thinking. Yes. And I was formerly the president of the Poetry Center of Chicago, and we had these 
poets in residence at the, the Chicago public schools. And people would be like, so what do you need poetry for? Well, let's see. It teaches you vocabulary. It teaches you critical thinking. It teaches you freedom ex of expression. It teaches you so much. And that's art. It's an art. It is. And the visual arts are the same way. You have that hand-eye coordination. And it activates your brain cells. So it's very healthy. And we're talking about so many people not thinking that art is important. You know, you have the STEM classes. But the kids who are the, the best ones are the STEAM, who have the arts in their practical. You know, you should be both. You use both brains. And I think that's what, as gallerists, we have to also be creative. We have to be artists to understand artists and the business of art. So it's like 50-50. Sense. Yeah, sure. that's definitely something we kind of talk about a lot on the podcast is just the fact that we live in this crazy visual culture now. And, you know, we all are being bombarded with the images on our Instagram feeds all day, every day. And understanding images is understanding that material that we're seeing, whether it's art in an art fair or advertisement or whatever it's it's a way of understanding the world and so it is really easy to just write off art as not necessary but actually it affects you every day and it's something that kind of gets overlooked unfortunately i think we are we're about up on time is there anything else any of you would like to share before Thank you for the invitation to talk about these things. Great questions. Thank I, you I appreciate for coming. all of them. Thank you so much. Yeah, for it's been a pleasure. Thank we you loved guys. it. It was great. great to meet you all today. And uh, keep it up. You're doing great. <laughs> we love it. Yeah, come say hi at the booths. Yes, we will. Hey guys, Nat here, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I just wanted to share a little bit of listener mail that we received from a lovely listener named Michaela. She writes, Dear Art History Babes, thank you so much for making such an amazing podcast and for working so hard to build a great artistic community. As I write this, I'm listening to your Frida Kahlo playlist on Spotify. So good. Listening to your show has taught me so much and helped me find a passion in art and art history. It is a true joy. Here are four prints I made in my etching class this term. I just want to be the next Albert Durer, really. I'm continuing with another printmaking class next term, and I can't wait. I'm also taking an art history course called Medieval Masters. I hope I will learn the meaning behind all those snails in illuminated manuscripts. I can't wait for your book. I know it will be amazing. I also hope I can meet y'all one day. I'll keep an eye out for more meetup events in the Bay Area and the Pacific Northwest. Thank you again for being badass babes, Michaela. So, so sweet. And you guys, these prints are beautiful. I'll post some pictures when we do the image or if we do images for this episode. I don't know how we're handling the live yet. But when we post this episode, I will be sure to post pictures of Michaela's beautiful prints and the stickers that she made from one of them. The original print is titled A Mouse in Fancy Armor, and it's based on that. And I'm just obsessed. So... I can't wait to show you guys. I can't wait to see more of your art, Michaela. Thank you for listening and for the really, really kind message. You guys are all so amazing. And the listener mail and art and things that you send us seriously make us so happy. And we're really proud of any inspiration that we maybe can bring into your lives. You guys inspire us every day. So again, thank you, Michaela. 
Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah, yeah.